Everything you need is within you. Together, we will explore and deepen our innate connection back to self and spirit. We are the Oracles. We are the Oracles. information shared on this podcast is based on Allie and Arlene's experiences, opinions, and research done beforehand. Neither Allie or Arlene are licensed practitioners. We advise you to do your own research on each topic mentioned. We are not responsible for your stupidity. Welcome to Magical Teas with the Oracles. I am your co-host, Arlene, and in this episode, we will celebrate, as we get closer to the end of October, the veil between our world and the world of the dead is lifting. So, we will take you around the world and discuss how different countries celebrate their dead and share some scary stories. But before we get started, let's do a quick energy check-in. Ali, how are you doing? Hi. Hey, everyone. How are y'all doing? Um, I am Ali, um, y'all's co-host. And I am doing really well. Well, since the last time y'all heard from us, it's been a hot minute. And I think it was still summer, right? When I think it was. It was like last recorded. Mm-hmm. July. July-ish. And, and so, so much has changed for me and my family. My family and I, I started a new, a new job, full-time job that I'm adjusting to. And I'm really enjoying it. Um, and this, just adjusting that with you know, with the kids and being in school. But besides that, I'm doing really well. I recently started taking Reiki 2 course. So pretty soon I'll have my Reiki 2 attunement to see. How about you, Arlene? You've had a lot of changes as well. Yeah. So first of all, we just want to thank each and every one of you for being extremely patient. It's been, like Ali said, a hot minute since we released our last episode and we've gone through a few exciting life transitions. And well, with all transitions, it's a process, right? For me, I actually moved to the state of Colorado and it's definitely different than Texas. A good different, of course. Um, I definitely like the scenery. I like driving down the street, any street really, and then just looking up and seeing the mountains in the background. That's beautiful. I've gone to a couple of, of hikes and everything is just so beautiful. And the fact that I'm right next to Mother Nature, like in that sense, provides more of like a, a grounding for me, you know, and so I love it. I enjoy it. I do have like two quibs though about Colorado. One, people do not return their shopping carts to where they need to. And then two, a lot of owners do not leash their dogs. So those are like my only two quibs that I've that I've come across in the last two months, I think. But other than that, I'm loving Colorado. Yes, I've seen the pictures that you have posted. And they're so beautiful. They are. You need to come. I know, I <laughs> you need to come. Hopefully, hopefully soon. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you once again to all of our listeners for hanging in there. Uh, we are excited and ready to record this episode. And then before we get started, we wanted to go ahead and, and say that we approach these topics with the utmost respect. It is not our intention to offend 
any culture and its customs. I think, Ali, you're first. Who do you got? The first one is ancient Egypt. And the reason why I picked ancient Egypt, because Egypt holds very soft spot in me and Arlene's um, heart and is part of our, our teaching or our own works. And in ancient Egypt, before they became an Islamic state, in about the old kingdom, time of the old kingdom, so 2613 to 3150 BCE, um, they had a festival called the Wepet Ren Pets Festival. This is the opening of the year. This is the New Year's Day of celebrations in ancient Egypt. This festival was kind of a movable feast as it depend on the Nile River. It celebrated death and the rebirth of Osiris and the extension of the land and the people. Also following after the Wepet Ren Pet Festival, the WAG festival which dedicated to the death of Osiris honoring the souls of the deceased on their journey to the afterlife. This is one of the oldest festivals celebra- celebrated by the, the ancient Egyptians and it first appeared in the Old Kingdom as well. And during this festival the people they would create small boats out of paper and set them toward the west on graves to indicate Osiris' death. And the people would float shrines of paper on the water of the Nile for the same reason. Also during this time of festivities, there was also one called the Wag and Toth Festival. It's a combination of the god Toth and Osiris. So regenerization and rebirth. This festival is set day on the 18th day of the first month of the year. Toth was worshipped as the god of writing, wisdom, and knowledge, and is also associated with judgment of the dead um, alongside Osiris, which links both gods together. Toth's birth and Osiris' rebirth was joined in this festival from the later part of the Old Kingdom onward. Also within ancient Egypt, uh, within their pantheon, there um, is Nephis, who is Isis's Aset sister, and she is the one that helped um, Aset resurrect Osiris. And Nephis is a god of protection who symbolizes the death experience, as Aset represents the birth experience. So during these festivals, they like to um, recite lamentations of Aset and Nephis. And this was recited at the beginning of the festivities to call Cyrus to his feast. I actually find it interesting because I don't really know much about how ancient Egypt celebrated their dead. Mm-hmm. And so this is actually interesting. While you were saying that, a thought came to mind, and, and it's actually kind of true. There aren't a lot of movies in regards to ancient Egypt. And there's actually one movie, I think it's called Egyptian Gods, and that's it. And it was... It was an okay movie. You know, if you saw it, you saw it. If you didn't, you didn't really miss out on much. That and then the mummies, the mummy sequels. Like everything that's made within Hollywood, it's really, really whitewashed, which is, you know, learning about the culture, like what they actually did, how they celebrated the living and the dead, how they honored. And during their whole life, they worked so they could have a good afterlife. You know, they worked on that, that journey of the afterlife. And making sure that their family members and themselves are ready to descend into that. Right, definitely. Well, so, up next we have sorry. we have Japan. So the festivities for their dead is called Obon. 
and Obon commemorates lost ancestors whose spirits are believed to come back during Obon to visit relatives. So most scholars agree that the celebration is actually based on the Buddhist Sutra Urabonkyo. And so the celebration usually lasts from four to five days and is one of the most important family events throughout the year in Japan. Beliefs about the bonds between the living and the dead are rooted in antiquity. Obon was traditionally celebrated during the seventh lunar month around the 15th day. I found some accounts that some celebrated in July and others celebrated in August, but they're both celebrated if you celebrate either or, they're celebrated on the 15th. And so since Obon commemorates the spirits of ancestors, many people return to their hometowns and spend the holiday surrounded by family and friends. Obon begins with the Mukaibi practice, which roughly translates to welcoming fires, during which people make a small bonfire in front of their houses to guide spirits upon their return back home. The decoration of the deceased altar with small memorial tablets, fruits, flowers, and Japanese sweets, as is also part of the early preparation stage. During the preparation stage, Ohaka Maidi, you go to the family's uh, cemetery and you pretty much clean up the grave and you pray for their peaceful existence wherever they are. Once they are done, they follow it up with Shojin Ryori, which is having lunch with their deceased, recalling old stories and just fun times. This meal is purely vegetarian and usually includes stewed beans, spinach with soy sauce and sesame, or pickled cucumbers. In the countryside, some regions will prepare horses made of cucumbers and cows made of eggplants with wooden sticks for legs. And so the symbolism behind it is that the horse will help spirits return home as soon as possible, while the cow will take them back to heaven as slowly as they can, right, once the festival is over. Bon Odori is a traditional dance meant to welcome spirits of the dead into the world of the living. Obon concludes with Gozan Okuribi, another bonfire. Just like the initial fire guided the deceased back home, the fires are thought to guide spirits back to the world of the dead. People also honor their deceased through Toronagashi, which are essentially floating lanterns which are sent down rivers to the ocean. And so what I've come across from, from my studies and exposure to Japanese culture is that they're not so much religious as they are spiritual. Yes. When I think of the Japanese, it's like in their everyday life. And that's what I've noticed with other cultures that are rooted in spirituality other than religion. You know, they see the world very much different than those that are very religious. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Every time I think of certain, um, I guess like I watch a lot of scary movies when they're placed in uh, Japan, the like the ghosts and like the, the spirits are very like they're very they say don't go over there. They mean don't go over there. You know, right. they're very superstitious. Mm-hmm. And like you said, they're very they're ritual based, like in everything they do, like the way they wake up, the way they eat how you close the door it has to be done properly right before you're about to eat you have to say something and then after you finish eating you say something else when you leave your house you say something and then um whenever you come back you you pretty much have a greeting for it so everything is based on ritual mm-hmm. and it's much more structured and i don't know but i feel like what i've come across for japan is they're much more respectful of of like their environment just life in general Okay, so for our next country, I chose Russia because it one of the scary stories, kind of scary story, that we're gonna tell later on in the episode uh, ties back to Russia, and it was I was just interested to see what they had for Halloween in Russia, since um, it's not a Halloween is not a big tradition there at all, mainly because 
it goes against their uh, Christian Orthodox traditions. And Russia is a very, you know, old country. So, and they're very uh, superstitious as well. So they really didn't have much about Halloween. But recently with the, with the young youth, so since the 90s, that's mainly when you can see any kind of Halloween festivities was mainly done by the youth, mainly because of the culture and the traditions are really, really strong. But what I did find was that Christmas is a big deal in in Russia and their Christmas tradition is somewhat similar to like our Halloween tradition where they dress up, they have costumes, they go door to door and collect candy. And this um, tradition is called I don't want to, I might butcher the name, so I apologize. It's the, the Kolyada. It's a, it's a tradition that was practiced on the night of the of January 6th. So it's before the Orthodox uh, Christmas. In this tradition, the people, they don't sleep that night. They go from home to home and sing carols. And that's when they receive treats. And they all dress up in different possible ways. So somewhat very similar to our Halloween here. But not all of Russia still follow this tradition. It's mainly done in the rural areas. But what also I found was their tradition of fortune telling. And this was found throughout Russia. And this is also done uh, around Christmas time for them. And Christmas, I didn't realize in Russia that it doesn't fall on the same time that it does for us on December 25th. For them, it's January 6th, which is Christmas Eve. And then it goes through to January 19th, which is the Russian Orthodox Christmas. So it started, Christmas for them starts at on January 6th, which is Christmas Eve. And then it goes through until January 19th on the Russian Orthodox Epiphany. This is considered the best time to predict the future. So uh, many young women love to practice this tradition. And they like to use old techniques to predict important events, such as weddings, future husbands, their career, etc. And I thought that was interesting that they really don't celebrate Halloween, but they do just in a very different way in a different time. But what also I found out within when I was doing research was I found that in Russia, their, their tradition for death, when a person has passed over, they believe that the person's soul lingers for up 40 days and then if that person has passed in a tragic way it lingers longer and then when a death occurs in the family the family um covers the mirrors and they like to stop the clocks in their homes with further research we found that the russian orthodox christians which is majority of russia are very strong superstitions as well so before a russian funeral the family prepares a home for mourning and they cover the mirrors with black material to ease the deceased's journey into the afterlife. Which I thought was interesting because within like our culture, uh, Hispanic culture, we celebrate death. And it's more of a celebration. So seeing that they transfer their home into like a mourning where, you know, they are all in black. And they're in straight mourning. It's not like a party like that I have witnessed here uh, within my own family and stuff. It's funny that you mentioned that because like, and this this is from talks with my mom, like whenever she was younger, she recalls that everything was much more strict after somebody passed away. So it wasn't, I, and I guess because this is more of a Catholic tradition, right? But like 
you couldn't turn on the radio, you couldn't turn on the TV after somebody passed away, you had to wear black for, I don't know, two months after the person passed away. And it was like complete and utter silence immediately after the person passed away. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I remember whenever we'd go to the mass for that person, everything was like in Latin, because that's how mass was carried back in the day. And granted, my mom's not old. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but um, she still remembers that. And I always wondered why people would cover their, their mirrors after somebody passed away. Yeah, old English families, like they are in straight mourning, like the house is like, everybody comes quiet. I never experienced that within my family when someone has passed. On both sides of my family, there's always a party, like once the funeral ends, and we've had like our little food or whatever, that we're having they figure out okay whose house are we going to because there's gonna be more food and there's gonna be dancing there's gonna be like partying and stuff like that to celebrate our relatives you know life so they can celebrate them so we can remember them right um, and that's what i was always exposed to mm-hmm. i think when i was little my maternal grandma great-grandmother when she passed i do remember them being more quiet her family they are more catholic and it was more like it wasn't like my, my dad's side they're like party that's the only time i remember it but it's interesting to see other cultures, how they celebrate and honor their death. For sure. I'm actually going to talk about a country that's very near and dear to, I know for (laughs) sure my heart, for sure Ali's heart, and it is Mexico and how we celebrate Dia de los Muertos. So Dia de los Muertos honors the dead with festivals and as ironic as it sounds, lively celebrations. The celebration of Day of the Dead originated with pre-Columbian indigenous groups like the Aztec, who are correctly known as Mexica, the Toltec, and Nahuatl, to name a few. So much of the initial celebrations have been lost due to colonization. And so today's celebrations combine indigenous rituals with Catholicism. And so the Mexica people had one of the biggest cultural influences in Mexico. They believed the underworld, which is where most of the dead went, a place called Mitlan, which translates to place of the dead, is divided in nine levels. And as I read into it, it sounded like an obstacle course where you reach the next level by passing the current one, and eventually you arrive to a level of eternal rest. According to tradition, it takes the dead four years to complete this trip, or rather arrive to Mitlan. And they are guided by a very particular dog breed unique to Mexico called the Xoloscuincle. And so if you've seen the movie Coco, you might remember Dante, which is the dog that accompanied the little kid through his travels it is believed that the spots on the Sholo signifies that they have guided other souls to the Mitlan. So when they're like, because I've seen them and they're like when their skin is fully non-blemished, it means they haven't guided a soul yet. Right. Oh, yeah. So if you don't see like a spot on the Sholo, that means that they haven't guided a spirit. So the more spots that they have, that means that they're like the most experienced. So, you know, some people prefer a Sholo without spots. Some people prefer them with. Those dogs are Um, expensive, too. They are expensive. I can't remember how much exactly they were, but there is a Xolosquinkle dog breeder in my hometown in in San Luis. I I remember I, like, I was asking my cousin to find out, (laughs) but then I was like, nope, I can't do that. I can't, I can't move to Denver and then just have the dog live with me because poor dog. I just, (laughs) it's kind of like having a husky in Texas. He's he's hairless and cold. He's having a lot of sweaters. Yeah, no, I'm not that cruel. (laughs) But um, a fun fact. So I know that the movie, if you've seen Coco, you have probably seen like the alebrijes literally everywhere. And so 
It makes the viewer believe that alebrijes are synonymous to the Mexican culture. For those of you who have not seen Coco, alebrijes are the brightly colored animal sculptures or creatures. In reality, they were created in 1936 after Pedro Linares fell ill and while unconscious in his bed, he dreamt of a strange place resembling a forest. And so there he saw trees, animals, rocks, clouds, and everything was shouting, Alebrijes, alebrijes, alebrijes. And so upon recovery, he began recreating the creatures that he saw in his dream. So I've actually seen a couple of accounts on TikTok and they're like, alebrijes are Mesoamerican beliefs. And I'm like, no, no, they're actually not. Like you can, you can Google this. They were created in 1936. Well, maybe... So- he saw something that was already, you know, there. And because of the colonization, you know, that happened and mm-hmm. the, the teachings and everything that was wiped out because of the colonizers, maybe that knowledge was lost. So maybe, maybe. He did. so maybe he yeah. saw something because maybe. animal spirits, especially on that side, are much grander, you know, and a lot of other cultures do have stories about you know, spirit animals. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's that possibility. I do know that the archaeological sites in Mexico have only uncovered about 10% of what was. And so up until now, nothing similar to an alibi has, has popped up, but it wasn't really commercialized and it didn't like blow up until Pedro Linares actually like recreated that. Mm. So I thought that was interesting because it's a lot of misinformation and so we just want to make sure that we provide the most accurate information. It's important for me to note that Dia de los Muertos recognizes that death is a natural part of the human experience, a continuum, if you like, of the natural cycle of life. Our ancestors knew this and they embraced it. And so that is why it's important to honor and respect their perspective. Dia de los Muertos celebrates the lives of the deceased with food, drink, parties, and activities the dead enjoyed in life. So it only makes sense that when our dead rise, that they might be a tad salty that, you know, there aren't festivities. I know I'd be salty. I saw my mom celebrating my brother and then not me, right? Mm -hmm. Because she already fucking does that anyways. (laughs) She celebrates my brother way more than she celebrates me. But anyways, that's a different story. Um, So I'd be like, wait, wait, wait. Why aren't you celebrating me? Why are you celebrating them? Yeah, and supposedly when you have pictures on your altar of your family, of your ancestors, it helps you remember them because before, because when you you have your physical death and then you have your like spiritual death also is when there's nobody on earth that remembers you. Right. So then you have your spiritual full death. And Definitely. Like, you know, in Mexico, we have not only just Mexico, but Hispanic families, we have a tradition, an unwritten tradition that every Sunday you spend that Sunday with your family, right? Mm -hmm. Regardless, unless you live in a different country, different state, whatever the case, you carve out your day to visit your family. And so the deceased are not exempt from this cemeteries in Mexico, or at least the times that I've been in Mexico on Sundays, they are just filled with vendors. Parking lot is full because everybody goes on Sunday to leave flowers for their dearly departed. And I just think that's very sweet, right? Because, you know, here in the United States, at least when I drive by cemeteries, they are so lonely and just dry and literally dead. And there's like nothing that indicates that that person's family member remembers them or like, tries to visit them rather Mm -hmm. you know like tries to visit their their spot in the cemetery and i think it's just pretty how in latin america we we still celebrate our dead in that way yeah when i first started doing my my ancestor veneration i had went to san antonio and took my grandmother to we went to see her parents because her mom and dad are laid to rest together 
and I haven't seen their their gravesite in, in a long time. So we put flowers and like hung out there. And then for my mom's mom, we always go every time we try. Every time we go to San Antonio, we try but to make it to her grave so we can take flowers and clean it up. I know my cousin and my uncle that live out there, they all are always putting stuff out there, making sure her area is clean and the grass hasn't gotten big. And that's something that in our culture, we do a lot. We make sure right. that it's there. For sure. And so for most, Dia de los Muertos is celebrated on All Saints Day, which falls on November the 1st, and All Souls Day, which falls on November the 2nd. And so I actually created a reel on my Divine Healing Priestess account, which pretty much gives a timeline of everything that is celebrated because preparations begin as early as September the 29th. And so on this day, we are supposed to perform a smoke cleanse throughout our home and ask for permission for our deceased loved ones to return for this month's festivities. It spans all the way to November the 30th. And so this is a day in which we say goodbye to our loved ones by dismantling the altar or how they like to say, lifting the arch. One thing to note is that you'll see sweets throughout like the altars. And as I was doing my research, I found that sweet candy is a balance to the bitterness of death. And so you'll have sweets, you'll have pan de muertos, you have incense, sugar skulls, and then some even include sugar mariachi musicians because we Mexicans love music. It carries us through our day, through our life. And so if we can have it with music and then dance to it, why not, right? One thing that I also came across, which is incredibly interesting to me, is sugar skulls. Sugar skulls were not always made of sugar. Initially, amaranth was used. Amaranth was used to pay homage to the sun and war Aztec god, Huitzilopochtli. And so whenever the colonizers arrived, as they forced their religions on the indigenous groups, they forbade the indigenous groups to use amaranth because they knew that it was related to Huitzilopochtli. And so as I mentioned a little while ago, the original rituals changed with the arrival of the colonizers. So now it's common to hold vigils for the deceased and add crucifix on the altar. Interesting fact, whenever the colonizers arrived, they, they really did try to demolish the indigenous religions or rather spiritual practices. And so they would literally build a church on top of a pyramid. Like that was very symbolic, yeah. right? But that's why you you will find a lot of temples like on mountains, quote unquote. And then suddenly it's discovered that there's like pyramid underneath. Yeah. And so that's like one all of, over the world, wherever um, a Christian colonizer or conqueror has landed, mm -hmm. they do that to because it, it's like a dominus thing that mm -hmm. they do to the indigenous people to show like I'm in charge, you know, I take right. away your your belief now you know yeah and i when i was reading the popol vol it was said the reason why popol they Vuh. yeah um they it was said that the um the pastor not pastors the priests that will come they did that because the the indigenous when they converted it was so new that they would be tempted to convert back to their old ways right so they knew exactly how deep-rooted um the spiritual belief was to the people there you know mm -hmm. and they would seek out the you know the books the codex every you know because the mayan even the aztec they had books you know they weren't in the same way as you might think in you know the bond the bounded in the middle but they had like an accordion type books you can like the scenes will go all around it and on the back you know so it's it's very interesting to know that they that 
no matter how much the colonizers try to make the people look um, like savages and that they didn't have anything, it's, it's really, um, I enjoy finding out that they did, you know, they had all this and all yeah. that was a lie. And knowing that it's a lie, it makes me more interested to learn about what, you know, our ancestors here uh, believed in and how they saw their everyday life. Because just like in Japan and, and in um, Egypt, they were spiritual. So it was their whole life, you mm-hmm. know, from the moment they woke up and the moment they went to sleep. And so, and you know, you can find like even to this day, if you go to the the churches, right? Like you will see whatever saint the church is, you know, representing or whatever. And then right at the bottom, you can see like small jaguar sculptures. It kind of shows how even though after all these years, the colonizers tried and tried to eradicate the spiritual practices, people and religion, you know, like a whole society that we still try and hang on to our roots as much as we can. And yeah, we might pray to the same, but we still venerate the older gods. So the next country is El Salvador. El Salvador, they also celebrate. Dia de los Muertos as well, but it's not as extravagant as you will see it as in Mexico. The Aztec Empire, they had a big influence that whole area. So um, you will find a lot of their their influences in, in El Salvador. The colors are a little bit different. When I was looking up and doing research, I noticed that they, they're they very vibrant, but they don't have that orange marigold as much as you'll see in, in Mexico. And they don't really have many like sugar skulls at all. Um, they they also they go to the cemetery. They they have more crosses too that I've noticed than um, the ofrendas that I've seen from from Mexico. And them as well, they will go and go to the cemetery and clean it up. They make their family's area really pretty. They have food. They have music, you know, they celebrate. They just don't have like a big festival as like Mexico. And the reason why I um, was interested in El Salvador is because my my children are part El Salvadorian and I wanted to learn more about, you know, their culture so I can be, so they'll be able to be aware of where they come from. Yeah, I mean, the Aztec slash Mexica empire did span from all through Mexico, even like through Central America, but there were also these kingdoms smaller kingdoms that surrounded them and then eventually paid tribute to the bigger kingdoms like the Aztec, Inca, and Maya Empire. So there are a lot of similarities throughout Central and South America in regards to their to their celebrations. So last but certainly not least, we have Ireland and their celebration of their dead, which is known as Samhain. It's actually stems from a Gaelic word. So for the longest, I was saying salmon. <laughs> and then and then I saw Outlander and I was like, oh, that's how you pronounce it. Okay, got it. <laughs> um, so Samhain is a pagan festival originating from an ancient Celtic spiritual tradition. Samhain was first mentioned in the earliest Old Irish literature from the 9th century and is associated with many important events in Irish mythology. Samhain marked the end of the harvest and beginning of the winter and is usually celebrated from October the 31st to November the 1st to welcome the harvest and usher in the dark half of the year. Celebrants believe that the veil between the physical world and the spirit world lift during Samhain 
Ancient Celts marked Samhain as the most significant of the four quarterly fire festivals taking place at the midpoint between the fall equinox and the winter solstice. Hearth fires and family homes were left to burn out while the harvest was gathered as the 18th and the 19th century suggested that the fires, as well as their smoke and ashes, were deemed to have protective and cleansing powers. It is suggested that the fires were a kind of imitative or sympathetic magic because they mimicked the sun, and so helping the powers of growth and holding back the decay and darkness of winter. Also, the bonfires were used in divination rituals. This actually brings me back to the divination episode that we did a while back. During that episode, we discussed like various forms of divination. And so this is a perfect example of how divination is not a one-size-fits-all practice. You know, whatever works for you, however you understand spirit's message, however it gets across to you, then that's your divination, I guess. And so after the harvest work was complete, celebrants joined the Druid priests to light a community fire using a wheel that could cause friction and spark flames. And so the wheel was considered a representation of the sun and used along with prayers. Cattle were sacrificed and participants took a flame from the communal bonfire back to their home to relight the hearth. And so because the Celts believed that the barrier between worlds was breachable during Samhain, they prepared offerings that were left outside villages and fields for fairies. It was expected also that the ancestors might cross over during this time as well, and the Celts would dress as animals and monsters so that fairies were not tempted to kidnap them. Yeah. So this was done on the 31st to the 2nd? Well, at least what I found, they actually celebrated it from October the 31st to November the 1st. When I was looking up Russia, it had talked about a little bit about um, Samhain and that it was first All Hallows Eve and then it turned into Halloween and stuff because America, what we do to things. But I feel like Samhain started in Ireland and then in Britain, it was kind of adapted into All Hallows Eve. And so whenever the... The first settlers came to the United States of America slash colonizers. They brought over All Hallows Eve, and that's where we got Halloween. Mm-hmm. And this, I mean, like I said, this hasn't been confirmed. I haven't done the research, but like looking at the t- like remembering the timelines at the top of my head, like I feel like that's how it dwindled down to like what we know to be Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, also let's just take a moment to acknowledge Samhain and, and remember that had it not been for Samhain, Claire Randall would have never met Jamie Fraser. <laughs> and so if you don't know who I'm talking about, go check out Outlander. Don't do it in front of your children. You're going to love it. You're welcome. Yeah, it's a really good show. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to take um, a quick break and we write back with our scary stories that we've accumulated from our own families and then we found some that were interesting and yeah see you in a bit please rate review and subscribe to our podcast you can also find us on instagram at magicalteas.oracles.com